We're in Proverbs chapters 1 through 6. We're going to be messing around with different Proverbs tonight just a little bit. Uh, it's interesting when you think about what, uh, if, if you listen to the reading a moment ago, the many different words the proverb writer used to describe what wisdom is. He piled on synonyms. And it's hard to tell sometimes whether you're just being emphatic or whether you're meaning to draw out some nuance of meaning from each word. Like, for instance, Tim Hawkins, who's this great comedian, he makes fun of church people, and he says, if you listen to our prayers, and he does one, he says, we say, God, please lead us. We urge you to guide, guard, and direct us, to show us the way, point us in the right direction, and help navigate life. You've just said... 40 words that mean exactly the same thing. We just pile them on up. It makes it sound a little more spiritual or something, but you're saying one thing, help us with life. And you're piling on all these words, meaning exactly the same thing. I think the proverb writer actually means there to be a little bit of a distinction in the way he uses these words. I'm going to theory about this, and I'll, I'll just throw it out there, and it may not even be true, I don't guess, but I'm pretty sure it is, and so that's why I'm going to give it to you. Wisdom is this great big body of information that you've gained in life, and every lesson you've learned and every word you've heard are recorded in your brain somewhere, and we, we want it to be there for later when we need it. Facts and lessons we've been taught. You may remember that, that game show, things that, are you smarter than a fifth grader? And they claim that the questions they asked were all things you did learn in fifth grade. It's just that you haven't used them since then and they're long gone. But they're in your brain somewhere and you just can't recall them. Well, these, these pieces of information are in your brain somewhere. And the goal for the person who becomes wise is to be able to draw them out when necessary at any time with the, with the right kind of information necessary. It's there, but you've got to figure out how to use it. And it's sort of like the internet. There's so much information, you don't know how to access what you need at any given moment. And some people, some people are good at looking at a situation and going through their brain and picking out that piece of information that's just right for this moment, and we call them wise. For a lot of the rest of us, the experience of this being just missed is when we think of the perfect response to something somebody said to us three days after they said it. You ever have this occasion? If I'd have just thought of that at the right time, but it took me three days to come up with that. Wisdom is, in a huge sense, the ability to ponder a situation, draw out the right response from your large collection of options in your ever-expansive brain. How good are you at that? But I think the nuances of meaning are important to get. One form of wisdom that the proverb writer wants us to get is discipline. And discipline, uh, discipline is, is uh, when wisdom, it, it, it's a transformer. We're going to call it a transformer. And wisdom transforms into different things at different times. And so, first of all, you've got this discipline where you're battling each one of these words, by the way, you're, ch you're challenged by something different. So the first challenge we're going to talk about is you are challenged by your feelings. You have a feeling, you have a desire to do something, but wisdom, wisdom is knowing whether that feeling is good or right or not. Trying to get yourself to do what you know you should do rather than what you feel like you should do is difficult, but when wisdom wins, it becomes discipline. 
Because the truth is we're supposed to live our lives by principle, not just by feelings. Because just because you feel something doesn't mean it's good. To have a desire doesn't mean you have to act on it. You're not at the beck and call of your desires. And the fact that you have a desire of some kind does not obligate you to satisfy that. Discipline is what separates like Wiley from the rest of us. We know what we should do. We just can't make ourselves do it. I would use a modern image to illustrate this. A few years ago, you may remember when John F. Kennedy Jr. died in a plane crash. It took him a few days to find the plane below the ocean. And they figured out what happened because there are people who are like novice airplane pilots, right? They can fly planes in the best of conditions because they're flying the plane by their eyesight. They don't know what all these gadgets are here that are the objective measurements of how to fly correctly. All they really know is how to fly in daytime and when the conditions are perfect. And they go out there and they fly and they're fine and they're learning and they're learning. But John F. Kennedy Jr. only knew that way. And so he flew on a night when there were some terrible storms over the Atlantic. And the thing that happened to him, they said he was, they conjecture this, he was flying his plane upside down thinking it was right side up. Now how do you fly a plane upside down when you think, for all the world, everything within you tells you this feels right and it's completely upside down? The reason is he could not fly by instrument panel. When you face those conditions of bad weather, you've got to fly by some objective standard other than your feelings. And the proverb writer would agree with this. You cannot go through life responsibly by going by your feelings all the time. You've got to have some objective way of navigating through life solidly. I want you to look at Proverbs 1 with me. Verse 10 beginning. You have this example of this boy, this father is teaching his boy in Proverbs, and he's teaching him, teaching him the right way to live. And he's warning him there's plenty of people who will advocate going the wrong way. So in Proverbs chapter 1, beginning verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, hey, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. For the thrill of it, right? Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. So we're going to steal from people too. And we're going to steal and get nice stuff without having to work for it. Doesn't that sound great? Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. What he is saying is they're going to paint a pretty picture and they're going to pressure you with this wonderful image of what you could get if you'll go along with us. But what I want you to do is not live by that, that feeling that your friends can give you. I want you to give by a clear no, live by a clear knowledge of right and wrong. I want you to discipline yourself to do what you know is right, not what you feel or are led to feel might be a neat experience. That's a hard thing to do. Sexual temptation is described graphically in Proverbs chapters 5, 6, and 7. And discipline is described this way. Set your boundaries in the morning, and at night do not budge from them. Know where your limits are, and protect those limits. Your body wants for all the world to say yes, and your brain is charged with the guarding of your spirit and your mind to say no to that body. Wisdom through discipline is knowing that no matter what I feel, 
There is a right and there is a wrong, and I'm going to stick with what I know is right rather than what I feel I might want to do. Wisdom. So we talk to our kids about boundaries and dating when? After their first date? We talk to them about the boundaries of dating long before they ever date for the first time. We start setting those parameters so that that discipline can start being drained in them long before they ever go with that guy or that girl for the first time. We want those boundaries firm and strong so that when those feelings start to flutter, that brain kicks in gear and sticks with what, it's, what it knows, not what the body feels. That's when wisdom becomes discipline. Another form of this is the word for insight or discernment. This time you're not battling with your feelings, you're battling with a lack of experience. I've never been here before. I don't know what to do because I've never been here before. And all of us know the power and the, and, and the impact of experience in learning something. But the proverb writer will argue this. Those who go around saying that you can't have a voice in the discussion until you've experienced something, you can't experience something, or you can't know until you experience it, or you can't tell me you understand what you need to do when you haven't ever been there, are way overrated. Experience is overrated. Because you can know what to do without ever having experienced it if you will trust the insight that wisdom has to offer you. You can know right or wrong and good or bad, by being informed, not having to experience it. And in fact, if you will practice this, there are some things in this life you will never have to experience if you will go with wisdom that the proverb writer offers. The image I have for this one is a map. I want you to picture you're going to some place you've never been. Let's pretend it's before the days of GPS, but you could apply the GPS to this too. And you set your coordinates, or you figure out where you're going to go, and you put this map out, and you color code this road that you goes there. There are all sorts of roads and exits that you're going to pass before you turn where you need to turn. You do not have to go and explore all the paths that are wrong. You do not have to go down all those roads and know kind of where they are and the topography of the land in order to make the right move. You do not have to know the wrong path in order to know the right one. And if you know the right one, you may never, ever have to travel on the wrong one. Doesn't that make sense? A path, a map. So many people say, well, you, well you gotta, we've got to know what all the aberrations are. We've got to know what all the, 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 the other roads, because some of them have some neat, pretty pictures to see, or p- pretty flowers along the way. Listen, you don't have to do this. Here's what the proverb writer and every other scripture writer says. Stay to the right path. Walk in it. Go neither to the right nor to the left. You do not have to explore all the wrong ones to know what the right ones are. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. The father and the mother are all both cooperating together. They're both engaging in this conversation with the son. Verse 20 of Proverbs 6, My son, keep your father's commandment. The words he tells you. Forsake not your mother's teaching. It doesn't matter which parent you learn it from. Keep it in your head. Bind them on your heart always. Put them right there. Write them on your heart and tie them around your neck. I want you to keep them with you. Notice how they'll function. When you walk, they'll lead you. 
When you lie down, they'll watch over you. When you wake up, they'll start talking to you. If you'll keep this instruction, which is about things that you don't know but we do, and now by us telling you, you know enough not to do them, if you'll keep this, if you'll listen, it's constantly speaking to you and providing you guidance. If you'll do that, and it gives you insight, if you'll do that, you need not do some things like, verse 23, this commandment is a lamp and its teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way to life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Ah, he starts describing this woman. And he starts telling her who she is. And he starts describing what will happen to him if he goes down the path that she leads. And he starts describing the life and the end result of a person who doesn't practice discipline but goes with this immoral woman and lets her take the lead and they go straight to the chambers of death, he says. And the father is telling the son, if you will listen to me, you need not ever experience those things. Too many people say, well, you can't know you've never been there. I do know, that's why I'm not going. That's not true of everything, but that's true of a lot of things. Our young people do not have to learn by trial and error. They can simply learn by your mistakes and never make them themselves, can't they? Wisdom becomes discipline. Wisdom becomes insight. And there's a last one I want to talk about. Wisdom becomes discretion. This is an interesting word. In this case, you're battling total ignorance. You don't have feelings toward, about anything. You don't have a lack of experience. You just don't know anything about this. You just need to know something in order to make some kind of decision. And Jesus taught this. Even in the chapter of the Bible that begins with, Judge not that ye be not judged. Don't make judgments of people. He also says, I want you to watch the tree. I want you to see the kind of fruit it produces. And you will know about that tree based on what that tree produces. So discretion is a good thing. Discretion and prejudice aren't the same thing. Prejudice is when you make a judgment about somebody based on some superficial, outside criteria. The color of their skin. The language that they speak or the country they come from. When you start judging people on this this observable, superficial, external criteria that has nothing to do with the heart or the character, you are prejudiced. But if you're watching someone over time and you're watching their behaviors that flow from the choices they make, and you make a judgment, that's called discretion. Do not be prejudiced, but do practice discretion. Proverbs says, be careful who you're friends with. And it's not don't be friends with black people. It's don't be friends with people who make immoral choices that are obviously wrong. And they make the habit of that, and that is their character. Don't be careful with that. Later on in this series, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share with you what Proverbs says, the kind of woman you need to marry. There are things you can know. There are things you need to look for while you're dating and be very picky and and practice discretion. You want your daughter to practice discretion, don't you? 
Now, not prejudice, but you want her to practice discretion. Keep your eyes open and make some value judgments. You need to do that. And discretion is good for all of us. It's a measurement about how to choose friends. In chapter 1, verse 10 that we read, he said, don't join in the way of sinners. What's a sinner? How do you make a judgment about somebody who's a sinner and who's not? He goes on into chapter 2, and he says, walk in the ways of good men, keep to the paths of the righteous. Who is that? And he's taught his son. Here's the kind of good fruit you want to see somebody producing. And if their lives are producing this, be friends with them. That's discretion. I've been thinking for this illustration all week on Isaac Brown. I'm thinking about him for some reason. Um, I want you to imagine, and I asked him this morning if he's ever seen a giraffe, and he said no. Um, Maybe he's never seen a TV special with giraffes. Maybe his mom has drawn him some weird image of one, you know, on paper. Maybe he's read a book about them that has a hand-drawn or or, or somehow uh, the artwork of a giraffe, but he's never seen one. But he listens to his mom and he listens to his dad and they say, well, the dad points out, hey, uh, Brandon points out and says he's got a real thick tongue and kind of looks funny when he eats. That could be some of our elders. But, uh, but uh, no, not right. But, but his mom says, uh, long, stretched out neck. Okay, so how long would it take him when he's never seen one and they go to the mall, the, the mall go to the zoo in Memphis? How long would it take him, based on what they've told him a giraffe looks like, to determine what the giraffe is? Which one is the giraffe? How long would it take him? Not very long. This long. He's never seen one, but he can identify it from from the descriptions people have given him. We put it like this. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and acts like a duck, it's probably a duck. So treat it like a duck until you know otherwise. That's how we do it in life, and that's what the proverb writer would say. Now we're going to go into great detail about the sexual immorality of Proverbs, but I'm going to tell you this. The dad sits down with this boy in chapter 2, chapter 5, and chapter 6. He says, let me tell you about this immoral woman who's going to be in your life some point in time in your life. And he describes her by the words that she's going to speak. Let me tell you how she's going to talk. Let me tell you what she's going to do with her eyelashes. Let me tell you how she's going to dress. Let me tell you about the time of day when she will be around. Let me tell you the part of town where she's going to be living. Let me tell you the tone of voice she's going to use and that whispery voice she's going to have. Let me tell you everything I can. And he almost lays out a script for how this sinful woman's going to come and entice him. And then it's, it's almost so graphic that if this boy, chapter 7, describes the simple man who goes out there and he's totally oblivious to all this, he hasn't listened to his mom, he doesn't have dads to tell him anything about this woman, and he goes walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day is fa- fading and the night is coming in. No one's told him this is the danger time. And she comes out and she has all these words and she looks amazing. You know, I know love is blind, but if love really is blind, why is lingerie so popular? That's the kind of thing. We know what attracts the guy. We know what entices him. She knows how to dress to get his attention. And here she comes dressed like this. and, and, And what should happen at this point right here is he should feel deja vu. And you're like, well, he's never seen her before. He doesn't need to see her because the dad has painted such a picture 
that when she comes out, he should go running. That's the one daddy told me about right there. Discretion. I do not have to fall for her. I do not have to be totally powerless against her because someone has shared with me what I need to know to make this judgment. And we need to be talking to our kids about this. Moms and dads, tell them how you struggled with self-control before you got married. Don't act like it was no problem for you, like you were some Victorian age people. You couldn't keep your hands off each other. Tell your kids this. Tell them. Don't send them out there powerless. Give them the power of discretion, the Proverbs writer says. Now, you could try all three of these out in chapter 7. We're not going to read it tonight. That's another sermon. But I'm going to say this. When it comes to sexual immorality in our world, if the young man of chapter 7 had taken all this teaching that we've been talking about tonight, about sexual immorality and the enticing immoral woman, he could have used discretion. Chapter 7, verse 6, For at the window of my house I've looked out through the lattice, I've seen among the simple and perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. This is the dad telling a story to his son. And he said, there's this young man. No one's told him anything. He doesn't have a dad to teach him. He doesn't have a mom to share this with him. He doesn't have any of this. He's at ground zero. And he's totally, he's totally out there in the middle of a war with no armor. And he's going to get shot. He's saying this to his son because he's saying, that young man right there is not you. I've taught you. Notice, passing along the street near her corner, he doesn't know he shouldn't be there. This young man knows this. There are certain places you should not go. Isn't that true even today? Still places you shouldn't go? There's still times of the day when you shouldn't go there? Did your mama ever say to you, there's nothing good that happens after 10? Anybody ever say that to your kids? Taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening and the time of night and darkness, that time when it starts getting hazy and darkness is setting in, he's going the wrong direction at the wrong time. He could have practiced discretion. Notice this woman. The woman meets him dressed like a prostitute. You all know what that, when I say, when the Bible says dressed like a prostitute, you know what it means, right? Do I have to, I've got a slide here. No, I don't. But if I did, I don't need one because you've already got one in your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The angels on Victoria's Secret commercials and all that stuff. You know, just look at that. She comes at you like this, don't say, well, I thought she was, you know, trick-or-treating. No, I don't think so, right? She's loud and she's wayward. Her feet don't stay at home. She's in the street now. No, she's in the market. No, at every corner. She hits every corner. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a bold face, she says to him, I've offered sacrifices. I've paid my vows. I'm a spiritual person. I came out to meet you. She doesn't know him. But she looks at Lim like she's been waiting for him and, and figures out what his name is and calls him by name. And internet pornography is this way. She's looking at you like all she wants is you. She doesn't know you. I don't care who you are. The fantasy world. He could have practiced discretion. This, this is that 
that dad told me about. And I'm out of here. Not prejudice. Not stereotype necessarily, but it's discretion. And then, and then he could have had insight, right? He could know exactly where this is going to lead because his dad told him, if you go with her, she's going to do this and this and this and take you down to the chambers of death. He can know where this path is going to go. He has insight and he should have discipline. While everything within him is intrigued by this and his body is responding to her, his body should not be able to override his brain. Do not let that happen. It's called discipline. If he would have practiced this, he could say at the end of the night, wisdom saved my life. Because Proverbs is saying over and over again, Proverbs is a woman. I mean, wisdom is a woman in Proverbs, and she saves your life over and over and over again. Wisdom will save your life, but only number one if you have it, and only number two if you use it. Get as much of it as you can. We're going to talk about in the weeks to come where it comes from and how it, you acquire it, but get as much of it as you can and practice it every time you can. In Hebrews chapter 5, the people who get good at distinguishing good or evil are the ones who use the Word of God over and over again and figure out how to use it well. This is one of the reasons you're here tonight, to gain more wisdom for your life. Every time we open the Word, more wisdom can come. Talk about it in sermons and Bible class and even in songs. The only question is, when you get out there in life and the situation comes, are you going to use what you know? It becomes very practical. The title of this sermon tonight was Practical Wisdom that actually touches on real life. And scriptural wisdom is practical if it's anything I'm not as interested in, 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 in powering our kids to be able to debate wisdom. I am very interested in them being able to use it so that it saves their life. And they need to see us doing the same thing. You're not a believer. You've never responded. Tonight's a good chance. Make sure you're right with God and that the, 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 the Word of God is living in your life. And if it's not... Word of God is not living and active because it's not living in you. You haven't invited Jesus into your life through confession and baptism. Or maybe you have and you've not, it's been so long since you've actually used it that you feel rusty and need prayers. Tonight as you leave, I hope that you have the practical wisdom that will lead you to being faithful all week long until we return again next time. You need to respond. Make it known as we stand and sing. If this message has left you with questions or even a desire to take action in your walk with God, let us know if we can be of any assistance to you. Visit us at the Valley View Church of Christ in Jonesboro, Arkansas, or online at vvcoc.org, or visit the Church of Christ near you. Thanks for listening, and God bless.